You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting from Firehouse Studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM Bloomington, this is Abe Shapiro. And I'm Isinda Lanuk. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, September 16th, 2021. Later on in the program, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast in collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters of Bloomington-Monroe County. Our guest today is Carrie Mixa, chair of the Bloomington chapter of the Indiana Coalition for Public Education. Our topic of conversation is public education. That's coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Monroe County Community School Corporation approved a new policy to allow rapid antigen testing for students returning to school after contracted COVID. More in today's headlines. But first, your State House Roundup. President Joe Biden announced a plan for mandated vaccinations for private sector employees utilizing the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, to enforce a policy for mandated vaccination. In the wake of this announcement, Governor Eric Holcomb issued a statement in response saying, quote, I believe it is fundamentally a citizen's right to choose whether or not to get the vaccine, end quote. This negative response to President Biden's decision was mirrored by Attorney General Todd Rokita, who made a statement concerning the legality of the mandate, saying, quote, My team and I, along with other like-minded attorneys general, are reviewing all legal action on how to stand against these authoritarian actions by the Biden administration, end quote. Attorney General Rokita went on to assure Indiana residents that, quote, we will be prepared to file suit if Biden seeks illegal actions restricting Hoosiers' liberties, end quote. That's all for your State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. The school board approved changes to COVID-19 procedures for returning to school during the September 14th Monroe County Community School Board meeting. Board member Aaron Cooperman explained why the school district will allow rapid antigen testing as a method to return to school after contracting COVID-19. Like, as far as I know, the problem is a driver shortage, right? So wouldn't this money be better spent on drivers, giving them a raise, maybe a hiring bonus, maybe anything. Because I think if you push this through without being very transparent about what it actually is going to do for us, I think you're going to have some pretty mad parents. During public comment, concerned resident Ashley Moore questioned board members about a new technology that the MCCSC school board will implement to address the transportation issue. Moore said the money could be better spent on hiring more drivers. As as you are probably aware, we currently have three options for a student to return to school when they have either been absent from school or um, sent home from school because of symptoms that are consistent with COVID-19. Currently, our options are they can quarantine for 10 days, they can get a doctor's note, 
or they can submit a negative PCR test. This change would only affect that third option where instead of um, requiring a negative PCR test, we would also accept the results of a negative rapid antigen test. This is based on guidance from the CDC, the Indiana Department of Health and the American Academy for Pediatrics. It will, the um, evidence about the rapid antigen test suggests that it is sufficient to stop the transmission within our schools while also allowing for students who are negative to return to school faster. Um, it's also important to note that this is in cooperation with the um, pediatricians that serve most of our students within MCCSC. So they are going to, uh, they have already started offering the rapid antigen test for symptomatic students on days zero through five. As you, are, as you probably know, access to PCR testing in our community had become a huge problem. Uh, so this should, it's, it's not the only solution, but it is a piece of the puzzle to start, again, slowing transmission in our schools while allowing negative students to come back to school sooner. Board members discussed a five-year contract with Tyler Technologies to improve the bus tracking system. MCCSC Director of Technology, Tim Pritchett, presented the contract. We have one contract to recommend today. The contract is with Tyler Technologies and Versatrans, our existing transportation software vendor, for the purchase and addition of several Versatrans modules to add on to our existing suite. The modules include Tyler Drive, onboard GPS, student ridership package, enhanced report and diagnostic tools, and updated parent communication tools. The cost of the five-year contract is $875,700.58 and will be paid from the ESSER fund. The school board approved the contract unanimously. At the Bloomington Commission on Sustainability meeting on September 14th, Assistant Director of Sustainability, Lauren Clemens, shared a report from the Environmental Resilience Institute in collaboration with Monroe County. The report assessed how well-prepared Monroe County is to face the effects of climate change. Clemens outlined what Monroe County is most prepared for and the least prepared for. So the three climate impacts that, according to this assessment, Monroe County was most prepared on are areas that the county has been actively trying to improve. Um, and so that includes an increased stress on existing communication systems during extreme weather. So. Um, some ways that the county is working to improve this is to have a county-wide emergency management notification system. So if there's things like, um, you know, extreme weather, et cetera, that county residents can be um, notified on their phone. Uh, increased impacts on residents during and after flood and heat events, as these will become more frequent, uh, it's more incumbent on the county um, and local government in general to respond to emergencies and try to work with residents to recover from those. And the fifth one was floodplain inundations and surface flooding. And so it's something that city of Bloomington is working on as well with things like greenways and green infrastructure. So as we expect that these sort of um, impacts will become more frequent than trying to anticipate those and become more resilient to improve the results um, following the flooding. So some areas that uh, the county did not rank as highly in relate to um, 
some more recommendations of ways to further prepare. So, and these have to do a lot with uh, social and environmental vulnerabilities to climate change. So um, how climate change impacts could affect the local economy and that could result in things like reduced tourism or increased price of inputs to goods that are made within the county. Incorporating climate and disaster resilience into economic development strategic plans. So instead of um, just anticipating how that's going to go as well as including it into emergency management, establishing protocols for providing assistance to residents who may face financial strain from higher energy costs. We see this happening already um, today. You know, it's quite, quite hot out. I've gotten a couple of emails from people that say that they're struggling with their utility costs and have been able to point them to more resources through their township or through um, pandemic relief for people that are in economic straits. But as the number of hot days keeps increasing, then there's increased strain on people that um, already have economic troubles and then are facing those high utility costs. The Commission also worked on an ordinance that would aim to reduce plastics locally. The ERI will be presenting the next step report to the County Council on September 28th. At the September 13th meeting, the Bloomington Utilities Service Board approved an agreement with Wessler Engineering Incorporated to help control their SCADIS systems. Director of Bloomington Utilities Vic Kelson explained why the SCADIS system is important for the city. I just want to say uh, I, how much I appreciate the work that Jill and Brad have been doing on this for quite a while. Um, this is all part of our cybersecurity effort. We want to make sure that uh, any any new software that gets deployed uh, for process operations is fully tested uh, in a safe place before we actually deploy it on the production servers. Um, this. Uh, allows us, uh, right, our old SCADA system for quite a while went without operating system updates. Um, basically, it was behind the firewall, so it was pre presumed to be safe. The idea now is um, we'll be able to roll, roll in operating system changes, things like that, test everything before we put them into production. So the, the whole idea is to, uh, to better manage our software deployments, and I'm, I appreciate all the work they've been doing to make this happen. The board approved the agreement with Wessler Engineering Incorporated unanimously. Assistant Director of Environmental Programs James Hall asked the board to approve funding to expand the scope for Lab Cal Module for WIMS, Water Information System Management. And it's going to um, allow us to schedule samples to be brought into the system. Uh, much more easily than we had anticipated um, just using the regular function. It was something new that they've added to their system. And we're going to use it to bring in kind of third-party samples um, and samples that we're taking at the industries through the pretreatment system and then and samples that the lab does for other municipalities in the area. And it allows us to just kind of put the samples on a schedule and then automatically we'll upload that data into the, into the database. So uh, that's what it's for. The board approved funding for this unanimously as well. The next meeting will be held on September the 27th. Bloomington Board of Public Works approved a contract with construction inspection contract with Clark Diaz Incorporated to add guardrails at various locations throughout the city at the September 14th meeting. Project engineer Patrick Dierkus explained the timeline on the project and why some costs haven't been nailed down yet. Uh, since this is 
program through INDOT and will bid through INDOT. They require that construction inspection contracts are uh, ready, I believe, six months before construction. So that's the reason why we're very far ahead on this one. I was wondering. Thank you for explaining that. Not a problem. And uh, just a note on this project, uh, there will be one additional change order uh, that is still pending for the uh, right-of-way acquisition services required uh, for Griffey Lake guardrail. Um, uh, IU has some property along for the golf course there along uh, Hinkle Headley Road. <clears throat> and so there will be some right-of-way services that are still pending for this contract. Um, we're still working on pricing. He explained that since contractors are busy right now, it has been difficult to contract within the budget, which he said is pretty tight. The board approved the inspection of guardrail installations three to zero. In today's feature report, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast in collaboration between WFHB Bloomington and the League of Women Voters of Bloomington Monroe County. Our guest today is Carrie Mixa, chair of the Bloomington Chair of the Indiana Coalition for Public Education. Our topic of conversation is public education. We turn now to host Jim Allison for more. You are listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're very pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month on WFHB at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we welcome Carrie Mixa of the Indiana Coalition for Public Education, and she's here to talk about Publication Education in Indiana. Carrie, thanks very much for being here today. Thank you, Jim. First off, can you tell us just a little bit about uh, your organization and what their mission is in today's public education forum? Yes, I can. Um, the Indiana Coalition for Public Education is 10 years old this year. Um, it was formed the year that school voucher and right to work legislation passed at the State House back in 2011. Uh, our local chapter here in Monroe County came a year later. Uh, locally, our local group is a, a nonpartisan and nonprofit group of parents, grandparents, caregivers, teachers, and other community members of Monroe County and surrounding areas. We advocate for all children to have high-quality, equitable, well-funded schools that are subject to democratic oversight by their communities. We're here to raise awareness of the state of education here in Indiana. Locally, we host events about K-12 education, um, such as movie nights, forums ranging from the importance of music education to understanding special education rights. Uh, and we also host school board candidate forums. Um, we're one of three hubs. Um, the other two are in the Northeast and the Northwest. We've been growing over the past decade. 
and our state board of directors up in Indy, they're a powerhouse. We've got three retired state superintendents, um, school financial advisor, PR specialists, lawyers, former superintendents, um, and parents and grandparents. Our local, uh, Kathy Fuentes Rur, is the president of the state group. We're very lucky to have her. Um, and I think the most valuable part of our organization is our lobbyist at the state house, Joel Hand. He talks to legislators, works on bills. Um, we rely solely on membership funding to help pay for our lobbyist. Well, it sounds to me like we're very lucky to have your organization so active. Yeah. Uh, let's get down to basics. Why is public education, in your opinion, so essentially each and every member of our representative democracy? And I think the founders shared that notion, too. They do. Yeah. Uh, public schools prepare people to become members of a democratic society. Um, they, the public schools create the public. They create an enlightened public. Uh, public schools serve all. Um, public schools offer opportunity to all children, no matter who they are, where they come from, what their what their gender identification is, what their creed is, who their parents are. Public schools offer the chance at a solid, well-rounded education. Well, I think anybody who's uh, been paying attention to no news knows that we're, um, <clears throat> there are some huge issues facing public schools today. But in your opinion, what do you see as the biggest issues facing public schools today? Yeah, um, I believe funding and um, state and federal legislators overreaching in power are, are the biggest issues. Um, in terms of funding, here in Indiana, we just don't fund schools enough. Um, and you can see that because we've become a referendum state. Um, our local MCCSC has a referendum. It actually has to be renewed in 2022 um, in the upcoming election that year. Um, it's it's very unfortunate that um, local communities have to go out and ask um, for permission every number of years, six to eight years, um, to help pay to keep their lights on, to help pay for enough teachers to fill all the classrooms. Um, it's important to note that uh, our referendum pays for 80 additional teachers to help make things run at MCCSE. Well, I've been around for quite a while. I've been looking at public schools myself since the 1940s, and I've never seen them so stressed as they are today with mass shootings and COVID-19 and the like. How are students coping with all of this? I think we have to ask them. But, you know, from a perspective as a parent, um, I feel that, um, you know, children, um, students are taking it day by day. I mean, it really depends on the child um, and it depends on, um, you know, where they where they live, where they come from, what, you know, what they're experiencing. Um, but, yeah, growing up and being a student today is is very difficult. Okay, well, school boards all also seem softly stressed too these days with parents angry about masks and such. Mm -hmm. uh, I often tell my wife, uh, if you want to see America's behaving badly, just go to a school board meeting. Why do parents seem so angry these days? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I, I do feel that it's because um, parents are scared and tired. Um, trust has been lost. Uh, in general, not just like at schools, but just in general in the society, we, we, we're lacking a lot of trust these days because rules are constantly changing. Social media is not helping matters. Um, many parents are scared of, of the, the health of their children. Others are scared that their children are losing out on normalcy and experiences and traditions. It's, it's really hard right now. And in addition, 
we don't, we're not even sure who's really showing up at these school board meetings and, and expressing this outrage. Uh, is it people from our local community or is it from elsewhere? Um, there's been, you know, some fringe groups um, making their rounds around the state um, and expressing a lot of frustration. Um, you know, Purple for Parents is one of them. Um, and so I feel that the anger that might be expressed at these school board meetings um, isn't really reflective of the entire community. We have in MCCSC, we've got 11,000 students practically. Um, and how many people are showing up at the school board meetings is, is a small fraction. Yeah, okay. Well, a lot of those parents are protesting critical race theory. Can you tell us what is critical race theory? Uh, is it taught in our public schools? <laughs> uh, critical race theory is not taught in our public schools. Um, folks are misusing the term. Critical race theory is, is, a, is a class that's taught in law school. It's a theory taught in law school, but um, rightfully so, this term um, sounds very alarming. So people are, are using it and the press has latched onto it. So it keeps on popping up. Um, but I feel like this fringe group of parents that are upset about critical race theory and pushing this issue um, along with select legislators, um, they're, they're not really upset about critical race theory. They're upset about other things that kind of fall in line with this, which is kind of uh, social emotional learning, sex education in schools, um, and the long and short history of racism that's being taught. Um, you know, there are rumors that um, the CRT outrage is um, to gear up the right wing base for midterm elections. Um, it's also rumored that it's yet another effort um, to privatize public education, you know, have more parents take their children from public schools to private schools using vouchers so they can escape the CRT being taught in um, public yeah. schools. Okay, well, there's obviously a lot of sound and fury out there. And what I'm wondering is, will all of this sound and fury affect what goes on in the classroom? I do, I do believe so. Um, you know, we have had a teacher shortage for years uh, and it grows every year. And right now we don't need to lose more teachers um, due to organizations like Purple for Parents um, calling them out uh, publicly. Uh, or online on social media. Um, we don't need to lose uh, nurses and staff and bus drivers due to parents yelling at them over the phone about masks and quarantine procedures. Um, teachers and support staff are not paid enough for this kind of abuse. I, I, and I'm not really sure how all of this will play out in the next legislative session either. Okay, I wonder if you could comment a little bit about charter schools in Indiana. Uh, how are they financed exactly? Do they work and do they have adequate oversight? Okay. Well, um, charter schools operate with a bit more oversight than private schools that receive vouchers. Um, we've got a few elements of um, schooling uh, that exists in um, Indiana. The further you travel from public schools, we have charter, accredited private, unaccredited private homeschool, um, the less public oversight you have uh, and also the less protections afforded a child. Uh, charter schools right now um, really want local property taxes. Um, 
at the moment, um, they only receive funding from the state. They receive tuition support dollars. Um, and they also get this extra added bonus of a thousand or so dollars per student um, to help make up for this lack of property tax dollars. Um, that said, organizations like Ed Choice and the Mind Trust are still asking for those property tax dollars. Um, and because they they really want to um, you know just get more money to keep these buildings open and keep these schools running, uh, this this um, need for these property tax this desire for property tax dollars will come up again in future legislative sessions. Um, but it's important to note um, that they do not have local oversight. Uh, for example, here in Bloomington and in um, Ellettsville, we have the Project School, which is overseen by Ball State, that's two hours away, um, and Seven Oaks, which is overseen by Grace College, uh, and that's three hours away. Uh, also, um, they don't have publicly elected school boards. They're just appointed, uh, and because of that, this discussion of getting local property tax dollars, if they're not represented locally, they shouldn't really have say over these dollars. Okay. Um, whatever happened to the issue of teacher pay in Indiana? Is it still alive and well? Don't hear much about it anymore. Yeah, of course, um, pay is still an issue. Uh, working conditions, too. You know, back in 2011, teachers lost the fight to um, bargain their working conditions, which, which are your child's learning conditions, too. Um, if both weren't um, an issue, we wouldn't have a teacher shortage. Um, legislators will tell you that teacher pay is a local issue, and so it's up to local schools to set salaries. Yet the state controls the purse strings to pay um, teachers. Teacher salary comes from state tuition support funds, which is sales tax and income tax, use tax, um, and locally local property taxes pay for busing and buildings and stuff. Um, but uh, it is definitely still an issue. <laughs> Okay, I'm wondering about the pandemic and its effect on uh, uh, on teachers leaving the profession. Have you seen such an effect? Yeah, well, you read about it in the newspaper um, and you hear about it from, you know, from the grapevine of um, knowing other teachers uh, in the community and stuff. Yes, um, the pandemic has caused a, a, a lot of early retirements for teachers. Oh. And then also, you know, some teachers had to leave just because of health reasons, either their own or their family member. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there has been a significant um, a tur a turnover for sure. Okay. Finally, I've heard that Indiana invests more in school safety than it does in mental health services for students. If that's true, do you think that it should be the other way around? Right, yeah, we, we should invest much more in mental health services. Uh, we should be thankful for um, the federal um, funding, the ESSER funds, uh, because a lot of schools are using those funds to help pay for um, more mental health specialists. Um, and I hope in future legislative sessions that the state will earmark more money for mental health services and um, downplay um, the Band-Aid um, that is school safety. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Carrie. And thanks to our listeners for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison, League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Indiana. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has fought since 1920 to improve our government and engage all citizens in decisions that impact their lives. Next month, please join us when we talk about redistricting reform with one of the student essay winners of the League of Women Voters Brown County recent essay contest on civic engagement.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Emily McCoy, Cade Young, and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature today was produced by Becky Hill. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnick. I'm Abe Shapiro. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at www.wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team with citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned now for Big Talk with Michael Glad. Coming up next here on 91.3 WFHB-FM Bloomington. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 